everyone, and welcome to the Friday, February 24th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, it was a big week for the pipeline debate at the Iowa Capitol. We talk trains in the wake of the Ohio disaster, and we're once again back on the 2024 trail. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me today is the full roster. We have Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough is here. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. We have Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Greetings, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. And skipping across to the other side of the state, Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Jared. Aaron, on Tuesday, we let the good times roll. Today, we let the good takes flow. (laughs) That sounds like too high a bar. I'm I'm very uncomfortable with that. (laughs) And finally, we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Hello. I think think Jared's had maybe too many hurricanes. (laughs) And so... (laughs) And that hello there, Todd. Sorry we woke you up. Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't talk to a lot of humans during the day, so it's kind of gets tough to, to do that first, to kind of let that first, uh, you know, word come out. <laughs> oh, well, glad we're up and rolling now. All right. First up this week, uh, like I said, a big week for pipeline news in the Iowa legislature. There, uh, we've been talking about this topic a lot, but um, there really was a lot going on this past week. Uh, we had a big rally held by pipeline opponents uh, just outside the Iowa Capitol there on the uh, ever popular uh, West Steps. Uh, House Republicans started running their bill that would recreate, would create higher hurdles for pipeline projects to be approved. And then at the end of the week, House Speaker Pat Grassley made a pretty significant promise regarding that legislation. Uh, I won't give away the farm. I'll let you tell us, Caleb. Uh, you were there through it all. Uh, what's your sense of where things stand on this? You know, what, what what's going to happen and, and what did Pat Grassley promise? Yeah, well, uh, Grassley made it pretty clear that it, that's going to make it out of the committee this next week. Uh, you know, he didn't say you know, for sure that's going to happen on this day. But he said, you know, we wouldn't have introduced it if we didn't expect that this was going to move forward and and that um, the chair of that committee, ju- the Judiciary Committee, Stephen Holt, had been having that conversation with the committee and he's, you know, expecting that to happen. So that's kind of what we're pl- expecting to see next week, um, that they'll move that out of the committee before the uh, final deadline for bills to be passed out. Uh, but from there, it seems to face a pretty uphill climb, especially in the Senate. Um, there's been pretty much no indication from Senate Leader Jack Whitver uh, that this has been a priority. Um, In the story I wrote last week, uh, his comment was was basically, there's been several proposals on these bills and we've had indication from Iowans on both sides and the legislative process will play its way out, which is (laughs) a a very uh, non-committal answer. Um, and then, I mean, it's uh, the, the Congress- answer that you can yeah. literally give to any bill introduced to pretty exactly. much, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the Commerce Chair um, of the Senate, Waylon Brown, has not scheduled any of the other pipeline legislation for subcommittees in the Senate. Um, so pipeline activists that have been here in the past few weeks have said um, that they haven't really been getting or been given meetings with Whitfer or uh, Brown. And they see them, and in, in, I think correctly, as kind of the key players in getting any of this moving in the Senate. Um, so, you know, 
on the House side, I, I think, especially if it makes it out of the committee this, this next week, there's a pretty good chance that that would have support to pass in the House. Um, when it comes to the Senate, it, it really uh, doesn't look great. And we saw, you know, last year there was a pipeline bill that passed in the House but didn't pass in the Senate. Um, you know, whether the governor would even sign it, you know, is, is the next question, which were, is, is unclear. So it's, it's, a, it's a big, looks like a big uphill battle for these, these pipeline activists that want to see some, this legislation. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. That th thanks for all that, Caleb, because that's really interesting the way this is playing out. Um, uh, Todd, you wrote about um, this issue and and made a prediction on what's to come, uh, and you put it in betting terms. Uh, tell us uh, uh, what you wrote about where you think this debate is headed. Well, I you know having been a long decipher decipherer translator of. Uh, legislative leadership ease Le legislator uh, whisperer uh you know i think jack whitford's quote can be interpreted as we're going to kill this but we haven't really figured out exactly how we're going to quietly do that in the most politically palatable way so that's i think that's where it's headed i mean it's you know the bill that steve holt has is the lead sponsor on is a is a good bill you know steve and i are rarely in agreement but on this we we've we've found uh uh you know a, a, a you know we're simpatico i guess is what you'd say history and, in the making yeah i know i know uh we were we we'd be a pretty odd couple you know if we were headed across the country in a buddy movie anyway so uh you know it it would it, it the bill makes it really hard to 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 uh you know just take land for a pipeline, which I think a lot of Iowans agree is probably the right course of action. It also has struck me as really irresponsible for, you know, the IUB and these companies to move forward while the federal government is still trying to rewrite safety regulations for these pipelines. I mean, I, I don't, you know, public safety is not something that you just sort of blow off. So I think... And I'm yeah. sorry to jump in real quick, Todd. That's part of what's in Holt's bill, yeah. right? Is is let wait until these safety regulations yep. are yeah. Yeah, there's a moratorium until they're they're completed. So uh it's a good bill. It's it's reasonable, which is you know, of course, why it won't pass. <clears throat> it may pass the House and the Senate doesn't seem I mean the Senate wasn't interested in taking up the issue last year. There was some language, I think, in a budget bill that they struck that would have put off permitting until February or March or slow down the process. That's correct. Yep. Senate removed it. Uh, but, you know, the Renewable Fuels Association has upped the ante by releasing that study last week, I believe, that that showed basically if you don't build these pipelines, the ethanol industry is going to die, which, you know, makes it a little bit tougher choice for lawmakers if, it, you know, if that's the counter argument. Uh, and, you know, most lawmakers on both sides of the fence are, have been pro-ethanol. They see that as rural economic development and is important to the Iowa economy. Uh, they sort of ignored the fact that the overproduction of corn is one of the reasons why our waters are polluted. But uh, so, that, you know, upping the ante like that makes it a tough vote to put any roadblocks ahead of these pipelines. And I just can't see any scenario where... Governor Kim Reynolds, you know, picks property owners over large agricultural interests. I mean, that's her bread and butter. That's where her donor base is. 
I, I just, I really think she's going to depend on the Senate to kill this. It's, I don't think it's going to make it to her desk. It's just, you know, ethanol is a, a powerful industry in Iowa and, uh, you know, slowing these pipelines down is, is not what the interest industry wants. So I'm afraid that that's, they're probably going to get their way. Yeah, I would just add to that that um, you know I've I've heard speaking to lawmakers um, haven't heard this directly from the governor's office but anyway lawmakers have 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 said quietly that uh, the governor doesn't want this on her desk um, but I guess the one interesting thing to me about um, Representative Holt's bill is that um, it does have the support of the Iowa Farm Bureau. Mm, yeah. um, which, which, which I think is, is is interesting and and something that at least you know House Republicans can can point to to say, um, you know, look, we're not against um, the ethanol industry, we're not against renewable fuels, we're not against um, you know Iowa farmers agriculture. You know, this is something that um, you know was taken from language proposed by the Iowa Farm Bureau, which is in support of this bill. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I, I agree. It's it's got an uphill battle in the Senate. Well, and it would be interesting to see. I don't think maybe we'll know before the end of the legislative session. But when Wolf, uh, the Wolf Carbon Pipeline folks filed for their permit yesterday, they they said that they're not going to use eminent domain to to get any land for their 95 miles in Iowa. So it would be interesting to see how successful they are in convincing landowners to give easements. And if they are successful, then why do the other pipeline companies need eminent domain? But I'm afraid that's gonna, those are those are trains that aren't gonna roll before legis the legislature actually makes a makes a decision on this. Yeah, and and to your point, Todd, about the, uh, the governor, um, as we noted uh, in a recent podcast, uh, when we asked her about that recently, the word that stuck out to me in her response was, I think we could look at tweaks to that current process or law. And, and as we noted, the whole bill is is not a tweak. It's it's a it's a big change. So so that kind of to me anyways, reading between the lines kind of spoke to where she is. It's, um, yeah, it's tough to know what tweak means. I mean, I remember when in 2016, when the when. Republican lawmakers were about to grab the majority. They said they were going to tweak collective bargaining. So we, 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 we knew that. So the, so the, yep. the you know, the, the tweet lane or the tweak lane is extremely wide if we're going with lanes and, and not pieces of pizza from last week. It's, it's a very, uh, what is fungible? Is that the right word? Uh, lane? <laughs> tweak lane? Oh, man. As soon as you started, I, I he's going to say it's the, the collective. I remember that, too. <laughs> I remember that, too. Um, the other thing I was just going to put a, a little bow on this. Um, we've talked about in the past how this issue has uh, in it kind of divided legislators in interesting ways and not necessarily right down the RD middle and, and within Republicans, um, within Republican lawmakers, uh, you know, there's interest pulling them in different ways. So it's interesting to kind of see that playing out in a very uh, tangible way now between the House and the Senate, where the House is appearing to pass legislation that kind of sides more with the landowners on this side and, and, and the Senate Republicans uh, appearing to go down the path of, of, uh, of moving the needle more in the direction of, of the uh, ethanol industry and the pipeline companies. Um, so, so it's, it's very interesting to 
see that play out. And, and, and just finally, Todd, one last note, I would watch the Todd Dorman and Steve Holt buddy uh, movie. So we need to get someone to make that happen. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll, I'll have my people talk to his people and, and my people will not have my people will not have their emails returned. And so that'll probably be the end of it. Hey, you never know. You never know. All right. Uh, uh, Jerry, to help us segue here, um, this, this pipeline issue is so big, uh, it, it's capturing the attention of election, elected officials even beyond the great curved walls of the Golden Dome here in Des Moines. Uh, this week, you talked to Congressman Randy Feenstra about myriad issues, uh, but including uh, pipelines. What did he have to say about all this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, Randy Feenstra's from Hull, and the uh, proposed path for the uh, Summit Pipeline would run through uh, Sioux County, which is where Hull's at, um, and of the three projects, Summit's been the one that's the center of the most intense discussions about imminent domain, I would say, um, and I've asked um, Randy Feenstra about this before, um, prior to the election, I asked about it, and he said, um, I am adamantly against eminent domain. When you have a private organization and you have a private landowner, they have to work out a deal together. And if somebody doesn't like to deal or doesn't want to, they should not be required to have something go through their land. Um, and then on Wednesday, uh, he was at Morningside's uh, Ag Center here in Sioux City uh, as part of an agriculture tour. And I asked him about it again. Uh, and this time he said, I am not a believer in eminent domain again, uh, because it's private land, a private landowner should have the opportunity to decide what they want to use that land for, um, which is a little bit, uh, however, slight uh, softer than the prior statement to go from saying uh, adamantly against eminent domain. To, I'm not a believer in uh, eminent domain, but if that's too much parsing, he still didn't sound like he was too much in favor of using uh, eminent domain necessarily for uh, these kinds of projects. Yeah. All right. Like I said, very interesting. Obviously the legislative part of it is, is, is mostly out of, of con the congressman's hands. This is obviously more of a state level, but it's just interesting because one, as you noted, Jared, that one of those proposed projects goes through his district. I'm sure regardless of whether he can actually do something about it, he, he's hearing about it a lot from constituents. Uh, I'm sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so to move us on, but, but to stay with you, Jared, and that interview, um, we're also hearing a lot. Uh, we're seeing it at the state house, a lot of legislation re regarding train regulations, the uh, lawmakers thinking about the, the recent uh, disaster in Ohio, uh, where the train uh, derailed there um, and causing um, uh, all kinds of issues. Um you also talked to Congressman uh, Feenster a little bit about that. What, what, what did he have to say on that topic? Yeah, um, he was asked about the uh, derailment in uh, East Palestine, and he uh, noted that there have been derailments in his district, uh, including one in uh, May 2021 uh, up in Sibley, which is about uh, 70 miles northeast of Sioux City. Um, in that case, in, in Sibley in 2021, there was a Union Pacific train that uh, – derailed uh, while it was carrying a couple different chemicals, including hydrochloric acid, uh, which is not uh, not good stuff, uh, very bad. Um, fortunately, in that case, there weren't any injuries. Um, so Feenster kind of made note of those past derailments that were a little closer to home. 
and said that this is a grave concern. You know, we have to have infrastructure uh, where rail is safe. Um, and then he criticized uh, Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, by saying that Buttigieg has to do a better job answering questions about safety and about explaining how federal infrastructure funding is being used uh, to keep future infrastructure disasters from happening. Um, and then Feinster also kind of mentioned the prospect of uh, oversight and um, investigations and episodes such as the ones in uh, East Palestine, but he didn't really get into more specifics about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just interesting to hear um, kind of uh, uh, the different, um, you know, ways that the elected officials are talking about this now. Um, and, and on the more local level, uh, Sarah, you talked to some Quad Cities officials uh, who spoke about their fear of something similar happening uh, there. And I, I, I got to admit, I have to plead ignorance on this, I, I, but I believe, I, I assume being out there on the mighty Mississippi, that the Quad Cities has some pretty uh, decent rail traffic. Yes? Yeah, so um, so yes, yeah, so this is especially a concern to Quad Cities folks because of uh, there's a merger that's ahead of, in front of the Surface Transportation Board that would merge two class one railroads and is expected to attract a lot more freight traffic because it's a single line rail system between Canada and Mexico. So they're expecting uh, rail traffic to triple along the riverfront over the next several years. And so our uh, in the Quad Cities, the, the railroad is not just like out in a rural area. It goes literally right along the riverfront where there are events with, um, with thousands of people. There's a farmer's market where the train goes literally right right by the parking lot. There's a, a ball field where there's thousands of people that um, gather for baseball games. And so um, I talked with a few people who, who have been really vocal critics of the merger and they just expressed real concern that, you know, if this happens uh, in Ohio, uh, what's gonna prevent that from happening here in the Quad Cities if uh, there's three times the number of trains that are going through this particularly busy area. And a lot of folks uh, in the Quad Cities, like cities in the Quad Cities have taken um, settlements from uh, Canadian Pacific and so aren't um, per those agreements if the merger goes through, aren't really allowed to talk about the merger or submit comments in opposition to so really the people that I could talk to were folks in Comanche who did not take one of those settlements. And uh, in, in that city, which is similar to the size of East Palestine, the railroad tracks go like right through the city. There's houses very close by on either side of the tracks. So, um, so that's what I talked about with local officials. And I find it interesting that this, uh, this issue is making its way to the legislature. Uh, one of our local legislators, Senator Scott Webster, was uh, considering like eight bills on trains. Some of them were kind of minor, like having a, a light on in um, if the trains are traveling at night. Um, there was one bill that would require crews to have at least two crews to be made up of at least two crew members. Um, and then the one, and Tom Barton uh, reported on this one, the, um, uh, there's a bill that's moving through the legislature that would limit train lengths to 8,500 um, feet, is it, I believe? And so that the train in, um, in Ohio was 9,000 feet. So that a train like that would be, you know, it'd be a little bit smaller. So, um, so yeah, so that was the, the concern uh, that I talked to local Quad Cityans about. Yeah. And, and, and you mentioned those bills there that that's interesting. And, uh, 
the bureau team has been talking about those here recently as well. Um, but as you kind of know, what's also kind of interesting about those is that there is a bunch of them, um, but would they do anything that would prevent a future incident like what happened in Ohio? It doesn't really necessarily sound like it. So it, 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 it's interesting in, in the way that legislators are looking at train regulations a little more closely now, but are, are any of them, you know, impactful in a way that would prevent a, a, um, a future uh, issue that that's harder to say the, the two crew members ones. I know people to do talk about like that, that's a safety uh, thing, but the other ones um, I'm not so sure, uh, but it's interesting. Well, and uh, Aaron, I was just going to note that, you know, in the places that I've uh, done reporting in the past, like these, some of these towns have had issues even trying to get like quiet zones and those kinds of things mm -hmm. uh, passed. So like a lot of these towns, no matter what, are just going to be at the mercy of what the railroads want to do because, you know, they really can't take on the railroads in the same way that a state <laughs> or a federal government can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. The only the only thing I'd, I'd add to this conversation is, um, so I went to a subcommittee on um, the bill that Sarah mentioned um, that would um, limit train links. And, um, you know, the railroads have argued that uh, U.S. law preempts states from regulating interstate commerce. So even if um, some of these bills do end up getting passed in the Iowa legislature, there's still a question, again, to Aaron's point as to, um, you know, what, if anything, it would do or, or, or accomplish, because, again, um, the uh, uh, U.S. Um, Constitution, um, you know, says that it's up to the federal government to um, regulate uh, interstate commerce. Yep, yep, be interesting. Um, I don't know, I mean, uh, who had uh, on their bingo card that at this point in the session and the year we'd be talking about pipelines and railroads. It's uh, just fascinating stuff going on in Iowa right now. Um, and frankly, I'd, I'd rather be talking about that than some of the other stuff that's going on anyway. So I'm okay with it. Uh, but for now, let's get off this train. Waka, waka, waka. And instead head down the 2024 campaign trail where this week our own Tom Barton took a little trip back in time to his days as a political reporter in South Carolina. Uh, over the past two weeks, Tom has covered former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. And then this past week, U.S. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina and their trips to Iowa. Uh, so, Tom, now that you've uh, re-familiarized re yourself with Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, uh, tell us, is the next Republican candidate for president going to be from the Palmetto State? As of now, probably not. But I mean, it's it's early. Um, plenty of things can change between now and you know caucus primary season. But according to a uh, Real Clear Politics rolling average of national polls tracking voter preferences in the Republican primary race, former President Donald Trump still leads the field with forty six uh, percent. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis gets about thirty percent. Former Vice President Mike Pence is at about 6%, and then Haley follows at about 5%. Um, in Iowa, though, I would point out that uh, Des Moines Register um, Mediacom Iowa poll suggests that Republican caucus goers, caucus goers are open to new candidates, even as uh, Trump holds a broad swath of, of the electorate after winning the state. 
uh, in both 2016 and 2020. The but the Iowa poll is um, I guess a little outdated. It was it was done back in July, but it found that 57% of Iowa Republicans um, said that they hoped Trump would decide to run for president in 2024, and then another 33% said they hoped um, he would not, and about 10% um, were unsure. Um, Nikki Haley um, had a town hall in Marion on Tuesday and said that the party has got to move forward from uh, former President Trump, uh, who is being investigated over his efforts to overturn his loss in the 2020 election and the events leading to um, the deadly um, January 6th uh, riot at the U.S. Capitol. Um, the, it's it's interesting, though, that that response from Haley um came um, after she um, opened up the town hall event in Marion to audience questions, and she was asked by a member of the audience whether she would consider Trump as her running mate. Um, and uh, Haley said to laughs, think about that for a second. Uh, how well do you think it would go over if I called President Trump and said, do you want to be my VP? Um, she then went on to call Trump a friend and said that the two had a good conversation um, ahead of her announcing um, her competing bid for the White House. But she did say, or she said that um, Trump was the right president at the right time um, and that he, uh, quote, broke the things that needed to be broken and he worked to fix them. Um, but then again, said that the reason she's running is to, to, to move forward. Um, she said that we can't keep dealing with these issues in the past. Um, but it's it's interesting, um, you know, Haley's trying to, you know, carve out this lane um, as, uh, you know, the alternative to uh, Donald Trump. Um, but in doing that is both seeking to capitalize on her time in Trump's administration as his ambassador to the United Nations, as well as um, trying to distance herself from uh, her former boss and now um, chief competitor. Um, as for Tim Scott, he's not formally announced that he'll run for president, but he has embarked on what um, he described as a listening tour to determine what his mission will be. Um, he spoke to reporters Wednesday um, after uh, taking a tour of a Catholic school in Des Moines um, alongside um, Iowa Governor Kent Reynolds um, talked to reporters about restoring hope and creating opportunities, including giving more options to parents and increasing the quality of education. Um, he applauded Reynolds for her leadership in passing a private school funding bill last month that creates state-funded scholarships that um, Iowa families could use to send their children to private schools. Um, he um, talked about speaking to um, a single mother of four um, who uh, has children enrolled um, at the school talking about how great it is um, to um, have them in an environment where they feel um, safe and, and, and supported and, you know, getting the, the education that, um, that they want for them. And, and in talking about that, um, Tim Scott mentioned his own upbringing being raised by, um, being raised by a single mother. Yeah. Uh, and to your, it's interesting as you were talking uh, about specifically the Haley's to 
sort of put some distance between herself and Trump and not too much. Um, that's obviously something that every Republican candidate will have to deal with to a certain degree, um, but especially those like Kuhaley were literally in the administration, um, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, if he jumps in. Um, but I think Haley's answer, we may eventually see as, you know, it, it, we're going to hear a lot similar. And I, and I think we heard something similar from Tim Scott. He didn't say it while he's in Iowa, but he did a Fox News interview where he said something to the effect of, uh, I'm glad President Trump was president um, um, because of the things that we accomplished in that time. And, and I think that's what the, the, the kind of message you'll hear, because that, that's what you often hear from Republican voters at this point is that they're happy they had, they're, they're sick of kind of the, the election stuff and then the tweets and the whatever they're called on uh, true social <laughs> now um they're kind of over all that stuff but th they're pleased with the conservative accomplishments uh that occurred under the trump administration from uh the tax cuts to the supreme court justices um etc et so so i think we may hear that a, a lot that kind of answer a lot from these 2024 candidates is um you know hey we, I, I like what president trump while well, he did in his office but now it's time for someone else uh, as you talked about them i think that's where we may see these candidates try to thread that needle the the yeah. problem with that is is that um that's nuance and nuance works when everyone else on the stage is going to be nuanced too, but when you're being nuanced and almost everyone else on the stage is being nuanced, but then there's one person up there that's basically swinging a shovel around and looking to end everyone else every moment he can when he's on stage, your your nuance isn't going to work as much. That's a really good point, and I'm trying to think back, Jared, if we have any recent examples of that in the recent Republican primary history. I'm racking my brain here. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. That'll be interesting. I just think it kind of it, it kind of uh, kneecaps those candidates a little bit because I mean, if you look at like uh, Trump's um, statements and press releases after Haley got into the race, I mean, he's not he's not t taking any or pulling any punches there. I mean, he compared her to Hillary Clinton, which is about the worst thing you can do uh, <laughs> as on the, as a Republican and um, and like Paul Ryan and stuff. So, you know, it, it's, it's going to be hard for those candidates in the cabinet for that reason. I mean, he's going to go all in on them and, and they can't really because people still like him. So. I found it interesting in her, um, her proposal of like a, like kind of like an age tester requirement for people over the age of 75. Um, and and just and just in general, kind of depicting Donald Trump as um, as an older candidate, somebody who's like past his prime. And um, I, I do I'm curious how that's going to go over with Iowa voters and considering that Iowa tends to be an older voting voting block. So and and I was voted for Trump. And anyway, I, I, I I'm going to be interested to see how that argument plays with voters, too. Yeah, Sarah, I was going to say that, like. You know, it's weird to make that point when old people vote more than anyone else, so they really don't care if the the, the candidate is also old because they're they're old too. It's fine. <laughs> Unless they're they're older and they're like, oh, I don't know if I could be president. You know. <laughs> well, know. yeah. And to your point, the, this state elected Donald Trump twice, and just 
uh, a few months ago sent Chuck Grassley back to the Senate for another six years. So it doesn't seem to be a concern uh, for Iowa voters. Um, what were the man camera? What was the, what was the other one that I'm forgetting the, uh, Oh no. <laughs> was it a cat maybe in the, the test? Know. Yeah. The There's test. some kind of animal. <laughs> for, if you have a blank stare uh, uh, right now, Google, uh, uh, what's the name of those tests, Jared? The the uh, it's like a competency test. Competency or test. Co- Thank cognitive, you. Cognitive test. Cognitive. Person. I found it. Person. Woman. Man. Camera. TV. It was a cognitive test that Trump talked about taking. Just an amazing moment in American yep. history. I. I he he scored it. the highest score ever. I think didn't he? Wasn't it the the greatest <laughs> cognitive test ever taken? Yeah, so he's not worried about it. This this challenge from Nikki Haley, he's he's already done this. He's already aced that thing. He's fine. <laughs> well, I, I'm also going to be interested to see, you know, Trump kind of, you know, Trump spouts nonsense, and that's part of his shtick, and we've all gotten used to it. I wonder what's going to happen when these other candidates start to say things that aren't true are they going to get the same kind of pass that trump did i mean over the weekend i think it was desantis gave an interview where he got lots of stuff about ukraine wrong and just kind of looked like he didn't know what he was doing and that got a lot of attention and i mean if trump had given that same interview everyone would have just shrugged it's like of course he doesn't know anything about ukraine he's he's donald trump but are they going to expect more out of these other trump alternatives then you know if if they're if they're just gonna you know continue to kind of pile up the falsehoods yeah that's a good question that will be interesting that will be interesting to see to what degree um that matters uh to to republican primary voters yeah well uh We'll have plenty of time to, to figure that all out as they keep pouring into the state. Uh, before we sign off, do, who is the next buddy on the 2024 uh, calendar? Haley and Scott were the big ones here recently. I, I don't think we know of the next trip. Do we? anyone correct me if I'm wrong? Well, Marianne Williamson recently announced her challenge for the Democratic nomination, well, but I, she won't be coming to Iowa. Yes, I trombone. She won't be coming here. <laughs> I thought I'll hat tip to Brienne from the register. She had a great tweet about that. Uh, uh, she said she heard, read that announcement and, and that Marianne Williamson was going to the early States and, and it still didn't kind of hadn't hit her until that moment as she was processing that, that it was like, but that doesn't include Iowa anymore. So. <laughs> one of my, um one of my all time favorite moments that I will ever have in my entire life covering any campaign event ever was uh covering uh, Marianne Williamson stopping off at an ethanol plant in Mason city when I was still working for the globe Gazette. And, you know, the ethanol folks were giving her like a presentation um, about ethanol and like the refinement process and how, how all of this works. And I can't remember if it was her or whoever her advisor was at one point stops the presentation and says, this, this is great. Who, who comes up with this stuff? And then there was a long pause in the room. And then one of the ethanol guys says, the ancient Egyptians. <laughs> uh, fermentation. It's it's the newest thing. The rain pyramids. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Oh, so, 
to your question, see what you Aaron, did Iowa Democrats, see what you did, National Democrats, those kinds of moments. You, there's not that kind of humor in South Carolina and in and Nevada. Man, what were you thinking? So, Aaron, to your question, I would just add that, um, and I am going to apologize if I just butcher the pronouncing it, uh, oh, how you pronounce his name. Yeah, but uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy uh, was also. I don't know, close enough, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and again, I yeah, and, and again, I I apologize if I just absolutely butchered that. Um, but anyway, thirty-seven-year-old uh, entrepreneur um, who has a, a cable news following for railing against wokeism, um, he was in the state uh, this week, uh, made his first stop in Iowa yesterday, Thursday. Um, since announcing earlier this week that uh, he's running for president. Um, so he spoke to the Iowa uh, legislature's Republican caucuses um, before, I think, traveling to events in Bettendorf, Ankeny, and Urbandale, according to uh, the Des Moines Register. Um, and then um, I believe, I think, I think this just came out today, I'll have to double check, but I think Haley is planning on coming back to Iowa um, next month. Yeah, there you go. And Perry Johnson coming soon. Yeah, he was actually here with uh, Haley. The f- no, no Pence at, no. The, at the Mike Pence event. Yep, he was at the Mike Pence rally in uh, in Cedar Rapids, and um, I think he opened a campaign headquarters in Des Moines. No, yeah, he's he's trying to to travel the. Um, oh shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Todd, the Democratic candidate from Maryland who who basically declared John Delaney. Days, Thank you. He's taking yeah. the John Delaney path, yeah. uh, which which worked out great for uh, President Delaney. Hey, all he people, got we'll see how all the, all let, the candidates that like move here. You know, they, they've always <laughs> done really well. <laughs> the Delaney path got him the most iconic photo in the history of the Iowa that's State Fair. True. Yeah, that's so, that is true. You know, is, oh, man. That's, and, and I may have mentioned this on, on the podcast before, but, it, but in case I haven't, or if you missed it, that speaking of moments, you'll never forget. I was at the state fair that day. I, I wasn't over by that ride, but I was with his comms team as that started to go viral on social media. And, and, and I, I still have the vision in, in my head of the comms guy, just kind of shrugging like, well, it's, there's no stopping it now. It, it's, it's out there and, and it's, it's, it's taken off and what can you do about it? <laughs> Is anybody getting emails from John Kasich? Speaking of, I've been, Are you serious? No. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Casey I mean, 2.0? not saying he's running, but it's just sort of like, you know, hey, this is what I think about stuff for some reason. Right. But right. The yeah. only the, the only presidential candidate that ever called me fat, which is another, <laughs> another story. <laughs> okay. We're hanging on for a few more. I make. I'll make it. I'll make it quick. I need to hear he, that story. He came to. He came to Sioux City. I interviewed him one on one at the Journal, and. Uh, he, I asked him just, you know, what have you been doing today? What have you been up to? And he said, well, I went to the Y and I worked out and I did all this and did all that. And he just looked at me real straight and he said, you don't work out much, do you? (laughs) (laughs) So he's a perceptive guy. Uh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) I I personally love that story. I just, it's just so perfect. (laughs) Wow. 
Strange shooter, John Casey. So I look forward to him coming back, and he'll even he'll be even more convinced that I don't work out now. So that <laughs> I was be, in my than in my twenties. He'll, he'll be so disappointed that his his biting comments didn't inspire you to live a healthier life. Well, Dad. the first thing that popped into my head when he said that, I was going to say, "Well, I used to weigh five hundred pounds. I'm trying the best that I can. You know, I'm trying to." But I, I decided been I, good. I decided not to, not to <laughs> oh, lie to the man. congressman from Ohio. Oh gosh! Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, nobody's stopping that. So, if you enjoyed it, and let's face it, we know you enjoyed it. Uh, tell your friends and subscribe to us on streaming audio services like iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter. Every morning in your inbox, you will receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team here. You can subscribe to that newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs, Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Give us those clicks, people, so we don't have to resort to clickbait headlines. Just read us honestly. Then, then we don't have to say things like, Bobby Kaufman introduced a bill. Guess what happened next? <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Party Cooper will play us out this week. If you know what I am a band of musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you for listening. Yeah.